Warning, this episode contains foul language and might make you think twice about your favorite hand-me-downs. podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with a very special guest and we talk about something weird. Weird. But this week, still safely recording remotely at home, we're chatting just the two of us and we're talking about strange objects, spooky trinkets, demonic knickknacks, cursed possessions, haunted tchotchkes, whatever you want to call them, we are talking about fangs from around the world that are not living or breathing, but just might hold some sort of bizarre power. Let's go antiquing and see what gems we can find. My name is Lauren, and this is my co-host, Ashley. (laughs) Hi, weirdos. (laughs) Did you like my antiquing? I really did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was really into it. Also, I really want to go antiquing, and I'm sad that there's a pandemic, because that actually sounds so fun. That sounds... So nice. I need something old and that reminds me that there was a world before this. Oh, yes, right? A beautiful world. A beautiful (laughs) world. There was life. I know. Yeah, it was so funny, guys, when we decided to do this episode. So what happened was, is basically... This was on our list for season one. We wanted to do a haunted objects episode and we just didn't. And then I kind of brought it up like, what if we tried that this time? And then as we're researching, we realize like we've done a lot of haunted objects before. They've just been on like different episodes. Yeah, we just happened to bring them up in totally different context. So we've covered like Robert the Doll, the Antikythera mechanism. We've covered some haunted paintings. We mm-hmm. discussed the Beth Sphere with Florida Men. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, oh, my gosh. Yeah. With the Florida Men, I should say, not with Florida Men. <laughs> so, yeah, we love weird stuff. We're doing an entire episode of weird stuff. It's going to be I'm fun. really excited. Little objects, little little fangs, as I said. It could be so fangs. many things. <laughs> so many fangs. No, I'm very excited. It's it's actually bizarre how many haunted, cursed, just spooky, strange, all any of the adjectives, how many of these objects exist around the world. Like doing research was so funny because it was like, which one do I even choose? Why are there so many weird things around there were, the universe? I saw, there were so many like online lists that were like 40 haunted objects. I was like, 40? I know. It would be like 40, 21, 60, and you'd go to the list and like, yeah, there was some overlap, but there would be all these new ones I'd never heard of popping up all of a sudden. It was very exciting. I'm really excited for the day we get to have a guest on again. I am too. I feel like every week when we do these intros and saying like, yeah, we usually sit down with a guest, I always have to take a little pause of sadness, like, but we can't have guests because our life is in shambles. Uh, We actually had a listener reach out like, why can't you have guests? And it's very simple. We're kind of we're choosing audio quality, sound quality over 
having a guest on the show. We may do something, maybe, if we can find another podcaster who's willing to sort of record in the way that we do. Yeah. Um, or maybe we can do something where we split the episode, where, like, I do a guest and then you do a guest on your end and we'll smoosh them together into oh one episode. Gosh. I don't know. Yeah, we could um, try and I find ways. Because I do miss talking to, to people. I know. But, um, I'm enjoying doing it with you, and I'm honestly, I'm kind of enjoying like how easy it is to just like sit in my room. Right. We both sit in our bedrooms. We call each other up on the phone. We record our separate audio, and it really is simple and beautiful. <laughs> so easy. I don't have to brush my hair. I don't even have to brush my teeth if I don't want to. I do because I'm not a nasty person, but yeah. if I didn't want to, I didn't have to. Yeah. It's nice that you have the choice to be disgusting if you want. And exactly. I actually am kind of disgusting right now, not with the teeth brushing. I did brush my teeth, but I'm still in my workout clothes from earlier and that's pretty gross but also in my defense I have a child and no time to shower so just let me be a grease ball for this episode and then I promise I'll shower when we're done I'm kind of the opposite today was one of the rare days that I didn't work out because I had to wait for a plumber and I never oh, knew like when he was coming so it's like yeah because they give you like a 12-hour window and they're like please oh, yeah, be from home eight to four. Oh mm-hmm. Jesus yeah no nope. and he didn't even do anything he walked in he looked at my sink and he went okay and they left and he never came back no idea where he went um, so what so your sink <laughs> yep. isn't fixed and what's no. happening nothing I don't know uh, I have no idea but I'm the opposite because I didn't work out today because I didn't know when I could um, so I'm still in like the pajamas that I slept in last night I'm and I that. didn't do my post-workout shower <laughs> and I'm a little sticky in a few places <laughs> that's totally fair it's just so... the stay-at-home life like that's what happens yeah. to us you know yeah, I don't even know why I bother showering anymore. I mean, I do because I bike like 12 miles a day on my stationary bike. So like yeah, if I geez. didn't shower, it would, be, it would be so gross. And we do have significant others who probably want to be close to us sometimes. So that is another reason for the shower. Yeah. Uh, fine, Alex. I'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah, fine, Joe. And Joe is so touchy-feely too i'm not actually weirdly enough i'm the one in the relationship that's like we don't have to touch like you could sit on the couch and i could sit on the chair we don't have to oh my gosh same i love my separation i hate snuggling Mm. in bed especially i'm like we can give each other a nice little smooch before we fall asleep but then roll away (laughs) i need my space and joe's the opposite joe's like can i have a hug and i'm like ugh. I hugged you yesterday. (laughs) Didn't we do this already? (laughs) You're fine for the next week, right? We already did that. Um, Before we get into our topic today, I did want to take a moment to thank our new patrons. Yes, we do have new patrons again, which is amazing. Um, We've got Jaz de la Huerta, Steve Murray Runciman, JC... Michelle Madan and Amara. Thank you guys so much Woo-hoo. for joining our Patreon and donating to our show. Um, and everyone listening should thank the Keep It Weird patrons because they're our main source of podcast income and they are literally what keeps the show going. They're so, keeping us afloat. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So thank you guys, all of you, and and um and thank you guys for listening too. You guys are great too, but like some people are greater than others. <laughs> Gotta give shout outs to the great of the great, you know? It's fine. If you are interested in getting bonus episodes and really lengthy newsletters full of cool horror movie news (laughs) or suggestions, uh, true crime stories, and This Week in Weirds, then you can find that at 
patreon.com slash keep it weird podcast also sorry if i mispronounced your name that didn't sound sincere but it was i'm really sorry <laughs> the way you said it was name. really special <laughs> sorry we're so sorry so sorry <laughs> if i mispronounced your name no really like i i do feel bad i try but sometimes best. my mouth doesn't do what i want it to it's fair it's fine we do what we can and we're sorry we love you all um do we have any other pieces of business to get to not that i know of if you are a patron i hope you looked at our newsletter i guess is a fun thing i want to say because i feel like it was really great this month it was a really good one uh our newsletter this month featured i did a top 10 horror documentary list that was so good I'm also so excited about John Boyega's new movie. I love him so much. <gasps> yeah, I hope it happens. I, I did a little write-up on a potential Attack the Block sequel, question mark. Right. I'm really it's excited about that. Lauren did a really crazy true crime story. Oh, gosh. That was that was tough. That was wor- that was rough. Yeah, <laughs> it's a I sad was one. Like, Jesus, I know. Really brings the newsletter down for a I second. I know. And then I tried was, to make you good. laugh immediately after with weird news stories. So there were some good weird news stories. Yeah. yeah, but I I always have to squeeze in some true crime. That's just who I am, even when it's depressing. But it was it's an interesting story, and I tried to make it appropriate with it being a Father's Day treat. Just a really yeah. a really loving father. Okay. Yeah, we won't get into that too much. It's very sad. <laughs> I was going to say, the only time that that's appropriate is Halloween. Like any other time, it's like, I tried to make it festive with a Christmas murder. It's like, Jesus, like no one <laughs> is listening to anything about a Christmas murder and being like, let's hear the sleigh bells. I did. In February, I did a Valentine's Day murder and I had that same thought. I was like, why did I do this? This is so sad. <laughs> It's a day for love. Um. So, anyways, we can get to <laughs> yeah. We can uh jump into the actual topic today. if we want. Got some weird objects for y'all. Yeah, you're going first today. <sighs> yes, and I'm talking about a painting, which, as you mentioned, we've talked about paintings before, but we haven't talked about this one. Or God, I hope not, because you know our memories are going, and you can just stop me immediately, and we'll uh, cancel the episode or. <laughs> <laughs> find out a way to move forward but i'm talking about the crying boy painting have you heard of it i have heard of it i don't think we covered this i think when we did the haunted haunted painting we covered the hands that yes which that popped that up one's called yeah the hands that something which is the creepiest freaking painting that, in the world that and fucking sucks i hate that painting <laughs> i hate it and people go missing from it and there's probably a girl trapped inside of it and i just cannot but this is not that situation. It's actually very different from that painting, which is why I appreciated it. But let's jump in. Please. So there is an Italian artist, or there was, named Giovanni Bragolin. I'm sure I said that absolutely correct. He was around in the 1950s, was when he was the most popular. And he was known for making a series of paintings of little children who were crying. Or- which is like... All right, Giovanni. (laughs) What you doing? The fuck? But what's crazy is, yes, that's my first thought. Like, why are you putting all these crying kids on paintings? But people freaking loved them. Like, they were selling out, like, nobody's business. People love Giovanni and his crying children. So 
I mean, the kids are adorable, I will say. It's all these really close-up portraits of the cutest kids in the world. Little boys, little girls. They all have huge, usually bright eyes, like a bright green or a bright blue. And some of them aren't like actively crying. They don't have the puffy face and tears going down their cheeks. They just have tears in their eyes, which gives them like these crystally beautiful eyes, makes them even cuter. So people just loved this series. Um, Yeah, he did it in the 1950s. And... Everybody was buying them. They were flying off the shelves, like copies had to be made because the originals were going so fast. And I guess in the UK alone, over 50,000 copies were sold (gasps) within like two years because people were so obsessed with them. The children usually looked very poor, but were very beautiful, as I said. And then there was one little boy who was the most popular and he actually had tears coming down his face and just looked so utterly distraught and you just want to squeeze him and grab him and he looks like he might possibly live on the street he's like a little scuffed up and it tugs at your heartstrings um and it became known as the crying boy it was the most popular one and they became mass-produced like i said because everybody wanted them so they were very very popular in the 50s but then it wasn't until 1985 when things started getting real crazy so The newspaper in the UK called The Sun, which many people have heard of, it's a huge tabloid newspaper, and especially in the 80s, was super, super popular. They loved putting out outrageous stories. It was their thing. So they decided to cause a little panic regarding the crying boy painting. And their headline was Blazing Curse of the Crying Boy. And the story was about this couple named Mary and Ron Hall, whose house was completely destroyed by a fire that started in their kitchen, and it ruined everything on their ground floor except for the painting of the crying boy, which was on their first floor, very close to the kitchen, and was perfectly intact after this huge house fire. So they were totally devastated and, you know, crying to all the papers telling their story, but they said that they believed it was the curse of the crying boy. They thought because the painting was still perfectly intact, they thought that painting was somehow the cause of the fire and it was not because they messed something up in the kitchen and left something on a pan for too long, which is actually what happened. But they were like, no, no, no. It's definitely the fault of this little boy. So they threw out the painting and they were trying to spread the news that it was definitely because of this boy. That is an interesting insurance claim. Exactly. Like, guys, it wasn't us. It was this little crying boy. (laughs) So Mary and Ron Hall are making this outrageous claim. And again, this isn't something crazy for The Sun to publish in the paper. Like, it's a story that could have just come and gone. People would have forgotten about it in a week. But after it was published, a firefighter actually wrote in to the sun and was like, um, I have gone to at least 15 to put out 15 house fires where basically the entire house was destroyed. But the only thing left intact was the picture of the crying boy. I kid you not. So this guy goes on claiming all these things, and once the firefighter story comes out, then everyone is coming out of the woodwork like, hold up, hold up, I was one of those people, this happened to me. So stories then came out about a woman in Surrey who lost her house to a fire six months after buying the painting. Then two sisters in Kilburn had fires in their homes after buying a copy of the painting. One God. sister even claimed to have see her, seen her painting swaying back and forth on the wall during the fire, but still completely fine and avoiding the flames. Yeah. Um, there was another woman who attempted to burn the painting herself after hearing the news, but didn't have any luck. She could not light it on fire no matter how hard she tried. A gentleman in Nottingham had a print of the painting and lost his entire home. 
and a lot of his family members were injured, but the painting was fine. Um, a pizza parlor in Norfolk was destroyed, including every painting on its walls, which was several, except for the crying boy painting. That um, is a classic pizza parlor decor thing, though. It's like, how yeah. much can we fit on the walls? How many paintings can we put on the wall and this license crying plates? Boy. And, this crying yeah. boy. This old Coca-Cola <laughs> poster. Exactly. Um, bottle caps. All kinds of This things. small shovel. Yeah, <laughs> small shovel. <laughs> That's exactly right. <gasps> Everything was destroyed, except for the painting of the crying boy. So it turns out that this curse was not that crazy. Everyone was like, Mary and Ron Hall are nuts. Wait a second. No, they're not. This is a real thing. Mm. So everyone's starting to freak out about the crying boy painting because they're all remaining unharmed. And it's crazy that people's houses are going ablaze who have this painting. And then people started writing and saying, well, I don't have the crying boy, but I have an image of a crying child in my house, and I'm afraid that it's going to catch on fire. So what can I do? And the son is like, first of all, we're just a newspaper, so I don't know what you want from us. But <laughs> then they decided to capitalize on this since their newspaper was reporting this and it was, you know, everyone was getting so excited about it. So they offered right around Halloween 1985, just to go along with the spookiness of the holiday. They said, send us your paintings of crying children, and we will try to light them all on fire with the supervision of the fire brigade, as they call it, which I think is so cute that it's called the fire brigade in the UK. <laughs> um, I, I feel that like that's adorable. what I called my little firefighter set when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, like my pet shop fire station my was brigade. the fire brigade. Um, <laughs> so they said, under the supervision of the adorable fire brigade they would light <laughs> all of the paintings on fire and people did it like the sun received a mountain of crying children paintings and the weird thing wow. was when they tried to light them on fire they actually caught on fire this time which everyone's like excuse me wasn't this the whole thing so they successfully lit like a mountain of these paintings on fire and they were like cool it worked and also happy halloween your curse is over and that's just kind of what they were celebrating or what they were pretending was going on. So then people started to look into, okay, maybe we ended the curse or maybe this was just a fun little fire that we started, but whatever is going on, what do we think is the background of this? So the really weird thing is Giovanni Bragolin, or whoever you pronounce, is actually just a pseudonym for this guy named... Why do I not have his name nearby? I had... Oh, Bruno. <laughs> I was like, why didn't I type it in like bold uh, font for my I eyeballs to find? real-time freak out. Go on. I was like, how did I not write down the real name? Um, Bruno Amadio was his real name. If um, you're about to tell me that this guy was like a serial child molester, <laughs> no, murderer, no, no. I'm going to shit my <laughs> pants because that's all I can think about is like this guy is like, it's uh, like he's just painting these crying children before he murders them. Oh my gosh. Well, that is a better story to this. And honestly, he could have been because that's the weirdest part of all of this is nobody knows a lot about this guy. His oh, real. Yeah. So, yeah, he killed kids. Go he on. He totally killed kids. Like, he went under not just Giovanni Bragolin. Like, that was the most famous name he went under. And that is what was signed on all the back of these children's paintings. But he was also known to go under Francho Savi and. 
one other, like, Jorge something. Like, he went under a bunch of different names, but I think it was found that his actual real name was Bruno Amadio, but nobody knew anything about him except that he most likely died in 1981, still painting until the day he died. I think he popped back up in the 1970s briefly and was painting, he was going back and forth between Italy and Spain and doing lots of paintings, and then died in September of 1981 is the belief. But there's not a ton of information on him. He was very mysterious. He traveled a lot. He painted all kinds of things. He was just most famous for this series of children. So we don't know a lot about him, which I find bizarre, but... People, of course, just started going crazy with their theories. So some of the most fun ones are they believe that it was a little gypsy child boy who placed a curse on the artist so that every painting of a crying child would make someone's house burn down. That was one. Okay. Some claim that the child had probably died in a fire and his spirit was trapped in the painting and trying to get a message across. It's but true. It's like, there was a lot of fires involved. <laughs> there was a whole lot of fires, so I don't hate that theory. Um, but the most popular claim is that the crying boy accidentally set fire to the studio while the artist was painting him and the child's parents were killed in the blaze. So wherever this little orphan boy went, fires mysteriously followed him, earning him the nickname Diablo. So people started calling this sweet little boy in the painting Diablo or Devil Boy. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, they believe that he was just this kid that was followed by fire and his parents were killed in a fire. So that's what people like to hold on to the most. They believe that this is just a devil child and no one should purchase this painting because their home will be lit ablaze. But yeah, that is pretty much the story of the crying boy. Um, also, in 2010, a guy made a YouTube video, something just to throw a little more recent in. He bought a painting of the crying boy and tried to light it on fire, and he was able to burn a corner of it. But then the flame eventually worked hard on that corner and then just went out and didn't get the rest of the painting. So you could logically just say, I think these paintings are being printed on like fire retardant material and there's nothing more to it than this is just like amazing material that the painting is being reproduced on. But you could also believe that it cannot be caught on fire and only your house will go ablaze. <laughs> only so whatever your belongings. You wanna, yeah, only you, your family, and all of your belongings, and you're going to have a terrible life. But the painting will not catch on fire, so you can take comfort in that. Um, and that was kind of the most recent thing that came out about it. That YouTube video is still on. You can go find it. Again, his name was Steve Punt. Um, and that is... That's the crying boy. Everyone still debates about it today with what's going on with it. But it is quite bizarre how many houses caught on fire with that painting i'm gonna go with my theory i like it the most i think that this guy was a child molester or child killer mm -hmm. and especially since this one was like the poorest and saddest of them all like maybe yes. something particularly horrible happened to him and it's just the the souls of all of these children that were murdered or or abused that are are taking revenge on anyone who spends money anyone who yeah you know absolutely contributes to the wealth of a serial killer sorry do, giovanni slash bruno i do like Maybe that you're idea a good guy <laughs> But. I know, Bruno, I hope you are actually nice, but we don't know a lot about you, so I'm a little I'm suspicious. Sure. 
But I do like, I'm glad you mentioned like that people are being punished for spending money and supporting this artist because I was trying to come up with theories of why anyone who purchases the painting has these troubles that their house is caught on fire and, you know, all of their belongings are burnt while the painting survives. But when the sun newspaper had everybody send in those paintings how they were able to set them all on fire with absolutely no issue but they did not purchase those and they were trying to end the curse so maybe the little boy getting out for his revenge is like hey you guys are trying to support the cause of getting these paintings off the shelves not supporting giovanni so i'm gonna let you set me ablaze i don't know i kind of like it no i yeah i think we i think we cracked that one (laughs) it's very much like the tape in the ring like samara let what's her toes live because she made a copy and she was like you are projecting my message you're sharing and that's what i want you to do but nobody who if people don't help me i'm gonna murder them and come out of this well so it's kind of like that i have a lot of questions about samara um (laughs) why was she such a little bitch that's what i don't fully understand like i know she didn't have a great life at home but she was also like a but horrible she didn't witch. have a great life at home because she was the worst she was so mean to her parents um, and weird to the horses and like so why did, well okay she was not their biological daughter no because they said like she left and then came back with a kid, so she yep. was either so adopted. Yeah, um, and do we think she's like the child of Satan because she is pure dude, evil? I don't know, and she can produce images with her brain, right? I mean, everyone can, but like she can like pr- actually produce like images on to film with her brain. Yeah, I just I that was the only thing I always misunderstood about the ring. I was like, but why is she so awful? Like, why is she such a little shit? I know. She was so terrible to her parents. It's like, well, yeah, you're going to get pushed down a well when you're a terrible person. She made all of the horses die. I know. That's the most sad. She drove her parents to madness. To complete madness. Oh, my gosh. The mom and the dad. Haunted tape that literally kills a bunch kills of people. kills you in seven like, days and deal? when people are just trying to watch a movie and you put out these strange pictures and that weird sound that ashley's toilet also makes yep <laughs> that was one of the things i was gonna have the plumber look at today but he never came back <laughs> oh uh, anyway that just anyway. made me laugh so hard let's move on <laughs> We'll move on. So I actually, once again, the topics that I chose ended up taking me places I didn't expect, but... We love it. We got such good feedback on last week's episode that I'm just going to ride that wave, baby. Do it. Take me wherever I'm supposed to go. That's right. So my first story today comes out of old Hollywood. Oh, love it. This is an object that I've always heard about, but I never knew the minute details of, and boy, is this one weird. I'm excited. Okay, so the object is James Dean's car. Yes, I've been wanting to learn more about this. And for anyone who doesn't know, James Dean was a pretty famous actor back in the 50s. And, <laughs> and a real all hobby. y'all's moms had a crush on James Dean. Oh, yeah. Um, James Dean actually had kind of an unfortunate life. And I know that's kind of hard to imagine because he became mega famous and, you know, now he's an icon. But his life was very sad. 
He lived with his mom and dad in Santa Monica. He was very close to his mother, but in 1938, when James was nine years old, she died of uterine cancer. And James Dean's father felt that he was unable to care for him, so he sent him to live with his aunt and uncle on a farm in Indiana, where he was raised in a Quaker household. Oh, geez. And it was in Indiana and under this now strict religious upbringing that he was sexually abused by a minister for a number of years. No way. Yeah. I had never heard that before. That's horrible. As soon as he finished high school, he moved back to California to be with his father and his stepmother to go to Santa Monica College, where he was pre-law. I didn't know that. Oh, what a little smarty. He transferred to UCLA for a semester, and then he dropped out to become an actor and pretty much seemed to just walk on to whatever role he wanted. Like, they couldn't get enough of him. He... It was like he did a Pepsi commercial and then he got a job. I'm pretty sure he was like a valet of some kind at CBS Studios down okay. there in, in West Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, or I, no, that's Hollywood. I'm forgetting my Hollywood West Hollywood boundaries because I haven't lived there in so long. Um, <laughs> but and we just he, can never go there ever. And we now. can't go there anymore. But he, um, you know, he just had a look that was like, we want you in every movie that we have. Seriously, with that jawline, you just got to put him word. in everything. The Woo. only people that didn't like him were people that were like, I don't get this moody shit. And it was like, just you wait. I He's know. just the beginning <laughs> of the Let moody shit. Let him do his thing. And also, he had a reason to be moody. Um, Yeah. But he's, he's most known for his role opposite another Hollywood tragedy, Natalie Wood, in Rebel Without a Cause. Love. And as you all know, I'm sure... James Dean died when he was only 24 years old. So young. And he was so young. I That's one of those things where you hear about it and you're like, oh, wow, he was young. And then once you're like in your 30s, you're like 24. 24? You're just starting your life. You are an infant. You have not done anything yet. I mean, that's not completely true. Some 24-year-olds have. But you have so much life yeah. ahead of you. And I, I don't... I. I remember being young and like kind of getting annoyed with older people saying that. But guys, yeah. it's true. And it's not like a bad thing. It's, it's not just, a bad thing. You have no idea how sweet and young and innocent you are until right. you're like 30 and above. And, and probably I'll be saying this when I'm 50. Like, I can't believe how sweet and young and innocent I was when I was 30. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I feel like my parents even now, every time I have another birthday, I'm like, well, I'm in my 30s now, everything goes downhill. My parents are both like, oh my god, your 30s are so great. You're still so young and learning things. I'm like, it's oh like, my really? God. Because my body hurts every yeah. day. Everything hurts. <laughs> Everything's terrible. <laughs> So he died when he was 24, and aside from acting, one of his favorite pastimes was racing. He actually wanted to develop an auto racing career, and oh, he cool. started to do so after his filming concluded on the movie East of Eden. He purchased uh. two cars that I guess were fast. I don't know. Um, <laughs> a Triumph Tiger T110 and a Porsche 356. I assume oh. those are fast cars. I know and nothing about cars, <laughs> but I'll agree with you. Right before he started filming Rebel Without a Cause, he competed in his first professional event in Palm Springs. He won first place in the novice class and second place at the main event. 
Uh, a month later, he raced in Bakersfield and he finished first in his class and third overall. So he was actually wow. pretty good. It wasn't yeah. just like some Hollywood guy who's like, I want to do this now. Or like Michael yeah. Jordan, how he's like, I'm going to golf now. Right. Oh, um, gosh, that was a mistake. I'm going to be a baseball player. Yeah. Like, James right. Dean actually was a talented racer. Yeah. That's cool. All right, Michael, you can't run away from all your problems. So <laughs> after the filming ended for the movie Giant... James decided he wanted to go all in with racing again, and he traded in one of his cars for a 1955 Porsche 550 Spider, and that's Spider with a Y, which Ooh. makes it cooler. Fancy. He also had it customized. He gave it new seats, two red stripes over the rear wheels, the number 130 on its doors, hood, and engine cover, and he called it Little Bastard, which oh, was also painted on the back. Yes. <laughs> But on the way to his first race, a Ford truck was passing through an intersection while turning left on Route 466, and Dean was unable to stop in time. He slammed into the passenger side of the Ford, resulting in his car bouncing across the pavement and onto the side of the highway. His passenger was thrown from the Porsche and survived. Um, he had a fractured jaw and serious injuries to his hip and femur. And James was actually trapped in the car and had multiple injuries, including a broken neck. Ugh. And he was alive at the time, but pronounced dead on arrival when he made it to the nearest hospital. Dang. I was just going to say, how long was he kept alive? But Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. But here's where the weird stuff comes in. So the sort of first strangeness involving the car came about when James was still alive. On September 23rd of 1955, he met actor Alec Guinness, who is the original Obi-Wan Kenobi, outside oh. of a restaurant. And he had him take a look at his new car. And Guinness told Dean that the car had a sinister appearance. And he said that if you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by this time next week. Whoa. And seven days later, that's exactly what happened. Um, what? Yeah. And that was like something where like someone uh, noted that. I don't remember whoever was with James Dean at the time. It wasn't Alec Guinness that said that. But Alec yeah. Guinness was then asked about it later. And he said like, yeah, I said that. But I also don't know what came over me. Like he didn't know why like, he, he said no it. He has no idea why that came out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. He thought it was wow. weird that he said it at the time. It was like, why did I say that? Yeah. So maybe it was My like gosh. a strange instance of clairvoyance for right. Alec Guinness. I don't and know. It just popped into his head and he yeah. had to be the vessel to convey the message. That's so yeah, bizarre. But James Dean just laughed. and Yeah, you know. as you would when you hear something like that. So after the accident, George Barris, who was the guy who customized the car originally, bought the wrecked car for $2,500. And you're probably thinking, $2,500, that's so cheap. Mm -hmm. And if you are thinking that, then you haven't seen the photos of this car after the accident. And I put car in quotation marks because the only way it resembled a car anymore was that it had wheels still. Oh, two. I'm sure it, it had was two just wheels wrecked. still. It Jeez. was... It didn't even look like a vehicle. It wow. was destroyed. So, so scary. Very. Um, anyway, so George bought what was left of the car. And soon after that, it slipped off its trailer and broke a mechanic's leg. Jeez. And not long after that, 
George Barris took apart what he could and, and started to sell the pieces that he could resell. He sold the engine and the drivetrain to Troy McHenry and William Eshrid, who were two amateur racers. While the two men were both racing against one another in cars that had parts from Little Bastard, McHenry lost control and hit a tree, killing him instantly. And Eshrid was seriously injured when his car suddenly locked up and rolled over while going into a turn. Oh, wow. At this point, Barris still had two tires from the Spider, which were untouched in Dean's accident. He sold them. And not long after, both blew out simultaneously, causing the new owner's car to run off the road. Jeez. Literally every inch of that car (laughs) was cursed. Yeah. (laughs) He did not die, thank goodness. Uh, Um, Yeah. Barris kept what was left of the car, and it wasn't a secret that he had it. So there were multiple attempts to steal parts of the car. Mm-hmm. Two men even got close. One of them was trying to steal the steering wheel, and in the process, his arm got torn open. Mm-hmm. The other was injured while trying to remove a bloodstained seat. Neither of them made it out with any part of the car. Wow. What? So, and that is sort of like, well, it was a mangled mess. I'm sure there was some really sharp metal parts, and maybe they were in a hurry. But it's still kind of interesting that the car was like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, nope, you can't take this. I will not let you. <laughs> You're getting away with nothing. So at this point, George Barris is like, okay, this car is freaking weird. I'm going to hide it. So he decided to hide the car. Like he put it into a storage unit where no one knew where it was and he hid it away. Good call. Years later, he was uh, convinced by the California Highway Patrol to lend the heap of metal to a highway safety exhibit. Basically... Uh, To be like, see, kids, this is what happened when you speed, that kind of thing. Okay. The first exhibit it was a part of was unsuccessful because the garage that housed the car burned to the ground. Oh, my goodness. And the car mysteriously suffered no damage from the fire. Because we've learned that cursed objects won't burn that easily. Won't burn. (laughs) They just won't do it. The next exhibition was at a local high school, and it ended horribly when the car fell off its display and ended up breaking a student's hip. Oh, my goodness. How? How can any more happen <laughs> well, regarding this car? if you can believe it, I am not done. The, <sighs> the curse continues when Little, ba- little Bastard, this one's nuts, when Little Bastard was being transported and the truck that was carrying the car lost control. Somehow, the driver, George Barquis, fell out of the truck as it was moving, only to be crushed by Little Bastard as it <gasps> fell off the back. No. He died. He died. <gasps> he was crushed by the car? He was crushed to death by the car as it slid. The driver of this truck. How? That's not even possible. I cannot imagine I... how it happened. I can't even picture that in my head. My brain can't wrap around that. That is crazy town. Then the car fell off two more transport trucks while traveling on the freeway, but luckily no one was injured in either of those instances. Well, thank goodness. But <laughs> also, I know, how but can also you deny? Like, you can't deny this car is cursed. Like Because you know they tie no it down it. better and better every time. It's not yes. like they're just throwing it up there hoping it doesn't fucking fall off the truck um so 
At this time, when it was being transported, it was still in the hands of the California Highway Patrol, and they were actually trying to transport it back to George Barris, but it mysteriously vanished in transit and has not been seen since. Okay. There was an interesting tip a couple years ago. Um, the Volo Auto Museum in Volo, Illinois, put out hey, a- Illinois. Which also, where's Volo? Yeah, why have we never I heard don't of know. that? I didn't even look it up. I was like, that exists probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Volo, Illinois put out a $1 million offer of the car in 2005 to go along with the 50th anniversary of James, James Dean's death. Uh-huh. And they did get some calls like every year they got calls, but they all ended up like not panning out or they were complete hoaxes. Uh-huh. But in 2015, an unnamed source called in and said that when he was six years old, he witnessed his father and a couple other men stow the car away behind a false wall in a building in Washington State. Oh, what? Yeah, he even has a scar on his hand from where the car had cut him that night, which is, like, so on brand for Little Bastard. (laughs) Very on brand. Unfortunately, the property that this took place on was not his property, so he couldn't go, like, knock down the wall to check, but he did agree Uh, to a polygraph test, and the results determined he was telling the truth. Oh, gosh. But... So the car is hiding in Washington. We're not sure. That's the latest I can find. Like, no updates to that 2015 story, so it either turned out to be bogus, or the owner owner of the property has not allowed anyone to search their home or the building or whatever. I mean, if you're housing the cursed car, you're not going to let anybody near that, I'm sure. You're like, this is staying hidden on my property. Holy buckets. That is a wild ride in James Dean's car. Yeah. A $1 million award, like, that's, like, crazy. But I feel like you could get more than that if you showed up and were like, I... But the problem is, though, is that the car is still owned. Like, George Barris owned the car. Yeah. He bought it. So you couldn't say, like, here's James Dean's car. If it gets authenticated, it goes back to the owner. Like, you can't, it's not finders keepers. Yeah. You wouldn't just have claim over it. Yeah. And I don't think that's very true. George Barris is alive anymore, but I guarantee, like, in his will, it's probably like, if anyone ever finds this car, it goes to someone in his family is getting that car and they would fight for it. I am sure. Yeah. Wow, that is so fascinating that it's just like, we don't know where it is. Who knows? No (laughs) idea. Yeah, that car. That car is crazy. Yeah. I had no idea. I knew that there were stories about James Dean's car. Like, I feel like it it has popped up in conversation. I've seen it in articles, yada, yada, yada. But I truly had no idea how nutso the story was. I know. I knew that, like, it, you know, fell off a couple ramps and, like, hurt people. But that was... I just kept finding more stuff. And I was like, how many cases are there? Like, nobody can deny. There's just no denial. This is a cursed car. Christine. Yeah, seriously. Also, I had to look up Volo. I was just too curious. Where is it? by Chicago. Oh, okay. Usually Um, there. Yeah. If it's a museum, where else is it going to be in Illinois? I know. Right. Yeah. Be like, we've got the Butter Museum, probably. (laughs) When you type in Volo, the first thing that pops up is their auto museum. So that's wow. like their okay. biggest thing. But yeah, they're pretty close to North Chicago, um, pretty close to the water. Looks like a, a tiny little place that doesn't have a whole lot going on except for that auto museum. But, you know, cool. maybe we'll pay it a visit. Who knows? Um, Tell me about more things. This 
next thing. I didn't know if the next thing was a surprise. I, it's a it's a dress, oh, no. everybody. It's a dress. <laughs> you could definitely say it. It is a wedding dress. Okay. Um, it's not a big reveal. It's it's a dress, everybody. So. In 1849, there was a woman named Anna Baker, and she lived with her very wealthy family in Altoona, Pennsylvania. She was the third child, daughter to this man named Elias Baker, who was like an iron master is his title. Like basically iron was what you worked in back then, especially in Pennsylvania. And so he was the master of all the iron workers, had a ton of money. They lived in this huge, beautiful mansion at the top of a hill in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Um, like everybody knew their family. So Anna is the third born. She was always a little bit rebellious. And she, of course, falls in love with one of the lowly iron workers. Oh, he didn't geez. make a lot of money. He was from a very poor family, just trying to make his way in the world working for Elias Baker. But any time that she came across any of the employees, she just kept laying her eyes on the sky, fell deeply in love. And when Elias found out about it, he decided that he wanted to ruin their relationship and basically tried to stop them from being together at every point. But then there came a day where Anna came forward and was like, Daddy, is how I imagine she said it. <laughs> Daddy, I'm going to marry this man. Like, no matter what you say, she I already bought a 14. dress. Exactly. I actually don't see her age on here, but there's a good chance she was very, very young in 1849. Um, no, she begged her father to get married. He, of course, said no immediately, but she was like, we don't care what you say. We're going to run off and get married together. I actually already found a dress. And she put on the dress hoping to charm her father and be like, look how beautiful your daughter looks in this dress. And it was lovely. But he was like, absolutely not. I have all the power and the influence in this town. I can do whatever I want. So he was able, like with his henchmen, to kick this man out of Altoona. He didn't murder him, which is where I thought the story was going to go. Yeah. Or maybe he did. And like, we have no idea where this guy is. Classy move, but though, he, Dad. Right. Just banishing him. Yeah. Yeah. Just drove him out of town, made sure, you know, he had all of his spies out saying, like, if this man ever sets foot in here again, alert me immediately. Like, get him out of here broke his daughter's heart and she was so angry that she said she would never marry anyone again and she would just grow old living alone and never even wanted to think about love again so that She's actually probably better off yeah truly she made not the worst decision you know but what i really feel bad is she had to live the rest of her days in her parents house like she never even moved that's out true. Which that really yeah at that age or in that time yeah you don't yeah. get to just be like i'm gonna go live in the city and yeah. be single exactly i'm gonna be independent like, you know, guess what, mom and dad you get to take care of me for the rest of my life until you're too fucking old and then i guess i'll take care of you but i'm gonna hate you forever but i will be miserable and cry in your face every day she did. She was a, she died a bitter old maid. I hate that term. So I take it back. She was just a bitter old lady. And she lived in the Baker mansion for the rest of her days. But in the year after all of this happened, I have to backtrack a little bit. Okay. She, she had always been seen like dancing around the house by the servants, by her family in that wedding dress, because, you know, she was still, holding out hope for this man and still living this dream, thinking about the love and the epic romance that they had together. So she loved being in the dress and just thinking about the life she could have had. And she was seen just like dancing around in it at all times. So that happened. That's like, creepy. 
I know. It got a little weird. She was very, she was in a very, very weird place after this situation. So she would dance around in the dress. And then a year later, after the wedding was called off and the dad banished the iron work, the iron worker from Altoona, a woman, a debutante named Elizabeth Bell came forward and said, I want to buy this wedding dress. And of course, Anna is angry and heartbroken over everything and is like, no, 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 this is my one thing I have. But Good old Elias Baker, good old Papa decided, nope, we're absolutely selling this dress because you're a nut job and we're going to make a little money off of this. And this is a beautiful socialite, you know, you want to be in good with her. So, of course, we're going to sell her the dress. So Elizabeth Bell takes the dress, gets married in it, and now Anna doesn't even have it in her possession anymore. But years and years later, after Anna dies, after everyone is dead at this point, the wedding dress is given back, it is found, and given back to the Blair County Historical Society, which eventually then donated it to the museum, which was once the Baker home. Their huge mansion was turned into a museum that still stands today, and now the dress is kept in a glass case up in what was Anna's old dressing room, which is like a little tiny square room that branches off of her bedroom that was on the top floor of the house. So when you tour the museum... You see, like, all the history of the family, but also just a lot of Pennsylvania history scattered around in the house. It's... <laughs> and then you get to Anna's room, and you're like, this is Anna's what? room. And... This is Anna's room. <laughs> it's just depressing and has it's... this old dress. <laughs> Can you imagine, case. like, not only, like, having that happen to you and then having to, like, never marrying and, like, dying a bitter old woman and then, real like, in the afterlife realizing you're famous just for being, like, sad for just being a sad old woman, like she reminds me of the woman on the Haunted Mansion ride. <laughs> I mean, I think she might have murdered her husband. Oh, she, she did. Yeah. It's pretty scary. But I just think of Hurry her like back. crying in her wedding dress for the rest of her days. Don't forget your death your certificate. Death certificate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love her. But Anyways. no, it's just <laughs> she's just this bitter old woman who wished she could have lived out the rest of her days sitting in a wedding dress and that is what she's remembered for. So that is depressing. But I feel a little happy for her that the wedding dress ended up back in her room in this museum because, you know, she needed something. She needed a win. Yeah. And even she though it was after win. death, after death, the dress was returned to her in some strange way. So then to get to the cursed part. So both the historical society and the people that run the museum and witnesses, tourists who have come through the museum, all claim that the dress moves on its own. Like this is not just a couple people here and there with hearsay. It's like the people who work there, everybody who comes through is like, something is off with that dress. It varies from it will lightly swing back and forth or it will come forward a little bit. Um, some women have claimed that they believe when it decides to push forward in a bit of a way that it looks like a woman is standing behind it and trying to model it like we all do. You know, oh. when you hold a dress in front of you and you like kind of kick your leg out to see how the dress looks on you. They believe that is the shape that it's taking as if someone's modeling it. Some have even believed, but will admit that maybe it's a trick of the eye, that while they see it swaying back and forth, they even see like a very slight apparition of a woman in the glass case as if she's trying on the dress. But again, people are trying to be as logical as possible. And they're like, you know, I saw the dress moving. Maybe I just imagined I saw a woman. But 
A few people have said they saw the apparition, so we don't know. And then those are kind of the more minor things. But some of the workers who have to stay late, they usually say it's at nighttime when they're closing up. They say sometimes the dress shakes so violently that it feels like the glass is going to break in the case. Like it is rattling trying to get out of that glass case. So that has freaked people out a lot. And paranormal investigators have, of course, come through here to check it out. And they've tried to, as much as they want to find something cool, they've tried to debunk it as well. And they cannot find any sort of draft that would be able to get into the glass case. They have found no no sort of rigging. There's just no way that this dress is being hit by anything, you know, that they can find. There's no logical explanation for why this dress would be moving back and forth that any investigators can find. Also staying overnight in the house, besides seeing the dress move, people have heard, you know, weird footsteps and creaks up on the second floor where the bedroom is. Um, There is believed that a woman is walking around in Anna's bedroom. Um, They've heard the voice of a woman, yada, yada, yada. So it's it's most likely a haunted house. It's a creepy dress. Yeah, it's a creepy dress (laughs) and a creepy house in general. Like, I think the Baker family could absolutely still be present in some way. Maybe it's just Anna. Maybe it's the whole family, but... The dress is the most specific one that is freaky as hell and shakes so violently that it's trying to come out of the case. So the most recent news on this, which is also just a little spooky if you choose to believe, is that now the dress is no longer on display. It was put away in a closet and the museum's staff all just claim that, oh, we had to put it away because the sun exposure was ruining the quality of the dress and it was starting to yellow and blah, blah, blah. But we know better that they had to put it away (laughs) because of the shaking and the freaking people out. They had to, you know, tuck her away for another day is what I believe. But Yeah, but can you imagine how their ticket sales sank? Right? Like, Like, we got rid of the haunted dress. It's like, cool. So, show me a piece of iron that this guy fucking welded. Like, I don't care about that. I don't want to look at the iron and I don't want to talk about Elias. (laughs) Yeah, I don't care about Altoona. I want a spooky dress. Well, my next topic. Oh, there's a little bug on my microphone for a second. Oh. Just coming to say yeah, hello. Yeah, a little fly guy. I don't know where you went. <laughs> My next topic is to take me to freaking La La Land, and I don't mean Los Angeles, although oh. Los Angeles does come into play. So I guess I mean both okay. definitions of La La Land. Okay, okay great. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be talking about the Ubaid Statues of Iraq. All right, let's do it. So it's a pretty universally accepted fact that civilization started in Iraq, uh, specifically in ancient Mesopotamia, even more specifically the civilization of Sumeria. However, in the early 1900s, there was an archaeological discovery at the Al-Ubaid site where many pre-Sumerian artifacts were found. So they predate Sumeria and included in these artifacts were statues of humanoid lizard people. Oh, cute. (laughs) (laughs) They are dated to be about 7,000 years old. Oh, geez. So now before we go into crazy town, I'm going to talk a little history. Ubadian culture dates between 4,000 and 5,500 BC. So about 5,000 years before JC was walking around. Okay. And as with the Sumerians, the origins of the Ubadian people is unknown. Although it does seem 
that they can tell that the fall of the civilization came about with social unrest due to there Uh being an emergence of an elite class. Okay. Many civilizations fall to the inequality of wealth specifically, or especially under an oligarchy, which is where there's a small group of people that has control over the country or population. And I say this because it's going to come into play later. Okay, noted. So anyhow, they were a working civilization. They had roads. They used irrigation to farm. Villages had become to develop into towns even. Temples began to appear. It was a real city. Okay. The main site where the artifacts were discovered is also known as the Talal Ubaid, although later similar figures were found in other major Sumerian sites too. The figures are male and female figurines and they're in different postures and positions. They have long heads... Stretched almond-shaped eyes, tapered faces, and a lizard-type nose. In most of them, they appear to be wearing a helmet and have some kind of padding on the shoulders. Like, they all kind of look like they're wearing 80s blazers. Oh my gosh, what is happening with these (laughs) statues? (laughs) Some figurines are holding staffs or scepters, which is usually a symbol at the time of justice and ruling. Um, They all have different poses, but one of the strangest ones are the female figures that are breastfeeding babies, and the babies are also represented as a lizard-like creature. Okay. Now, this isn't usually something that's that's seen even in, like, Egyptian hieroglyphs. Like, you see, like, a, you know, I don't know if it's a sphinx or, like, an Anubis or something breastfeeding. It's usually a human baby. It's usually not, like, a baby Anubis. You know, okay. a baby sphinx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, that was right. kind of strange. And because of right. those female figurines, breastfeeding specifically, archaeologists don't believe that they were used, uh, that they were ritualistic objects. Oh. But they were found in a very important ancient site, so they were obviously important to the Ubadian people. To this day, we have not been able to figure out these little dudes. There's just no answer? No. It does bring us to one of my all-time favorite conspiracies, the reptilian elite. Oh, I do love talking I about the lizard love people. love the lizard people. It is fun. Uh, we've mentioned them on the show before, but I'm not missing a chance to talk about them. Oh my gosh, yes. Bring it back. So I'll give you a little like refresher before I get into it. These humanoid reptiles have controlled humankind since ancient times, and they include many rich and powerful people. Queen Elizabeth, George W. Bush, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Obama, and some of his Secret Service, Mark Zuckerberg. I think I even remember Miley Cyrus blinking with two sets of eyelids. Oh, pretty sure I remember that video. Mark Zuckerberg actually looks a lot like a lizard. That's the one that I will believe. I'll give you that. I'll be like, Mark Zuckerberg. Have you seen the meme where it's like Mark Zuckerberg's wax figure looks more human than Mark Zuckerberg? Yes. And it's so true. Like he, when you see him in interviews or like that video of him in court, he just looks so bizarre. Yeah. Dead in the eyes. Definitely lizard-like. Supposedly, these creatures are behind secret societies like the Freemasons and the Illuminati, and they also started and control Scientology. They've got their scaly fingers in everything. They are just dipping them everywhere, and I bet they live on the bunker floor of the Denver airport. That is a theory (laughs) of what's underneath the Denver airport. So, um, these lizard face statues found in an ancient excavation in Iraq aren't helping 
and neither are the weird reptile-shaped beings found in ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. Like one of my favorites, and I've talked about it on the show before, the the depiction that shows what seem to be light bulbs. Uh huh. Yeah, one of the dudes holding the light bulb has a damn reptile head. Oh. So. Well. Also, the reptilian statue of the Horijuji Temple. Uh, or wait, hold on, I said that wrong. Horiyuji, Horiyuji Temple Horiyuji. in Japan. Yeah. That doesn't help either, especially after this is sort of like the dress. Uh, the statue was secretly removed from the exhibition open to the public in 2017. Well, come on. Yeah, they just like took it away. Uh, and it's like a, it's a it's a samurai that is a lizard. It's very it's an interesting statue. So mm. conspiracy theorists are pointing to these ancient artifacts as proof that there is a reptilian race on this planet, but that they've had to disguise themselves in modern times. That's 100% true. I buy it. <laughs> Some people believe <laughs> that reptilians are extinct, uh, but once existed. Like, we humans evolved from monkeys, but there were other humans who evolved from reptiles, possibly even dinosaurs. Just like in the movie Super Mario Brothers starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. <laughs> That's what happened there. <laughs> I could totally see that, especially because, like, not even just Mark Zuckerberg. There's a lot of people that look lizard-like on this earth. Yeah. Like, I, I totally buy this story. Well, uh, this theory is supported by a man named Dr. Dale Russell, who is a geologist and paleontologist. And in 1982, Dr. Russell proposed his dinosauroid theory after studying a prehistoric animal known as the Trudon. So this raptor-like animal had large eyes, binocular-like vision, and abnormally large brains. They also had free working fingers and the ability to grasp objects with their hands. And Russell suggested that that species could have evolved over millions of years to resemble human beings. No. But he's also the one that thinks that, like, he doesn't think that they exist still. But he, he thinks they I, just I don't believe. Existed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was one of the guys who's like, no, like this could have happened. Like dinosaurs could have evolved to be more human like. Right. But he doesn't believe yeah. that they still exist. Okay, gotcha. But then there's others like ex-sports announcer turned paranoid conspiracy theorist David Ick, who we've talked about on the show before, yes. um, that believe they are an extraterrestrial race that are here to pull the strings of politicians and the rich and famous at a global level, possibly as part of some bigger universe-spanning plan. Um, he subscribes to the theory that I know we've talked about on the show before, um, although I think it was in season one, the one where there's like secret passageways and tunnels under Los Angeles. Like under the city. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he he claims that he, uh, this guy was a mining engineer. His name is G. Warren Schufelt, who actually mapped out these underground tunnels and the underground tunnels exist. We know about them now. Yeah. Some of them we've even converted and, like, made into, like, easy-to-travel underground tunnels to, like, get places. Right. And he had learned about the mythical underground city and the lizard people from a Native American elder. That's right. Native oh. American tribes have lizard people legends, too. Oh, man. They're everywhere. They are, including a, a California Indian tribe known as the Pomo, where lizard, um, or it's called Hatanuto was one of the major figures of creation. He made humans partially in his image, specifically, and this is interesting, specifically the hands. If you notice a lizard's hands, he, they've got yeah. fingers like 
we do sort of only i think they have four and we have five they don't have thumbs so we've got ick he's a big one but you guys should also check out a guy named len caston he's the author of several books that i have to read including (laughs) alien world order the reptilian plan to divide and conquer the human race (laughs) that is a book that is right up your alley. Uh, you need to read that immediately. Yes. His research has revealed things like President Eisenhower's treaty with the Greys, which was signed at Holloman Air Force Base in 1954, which gave the aliens authority to abduct humans for research. Oh. And how okay. reptilians have produced alien-human hybrids under their control to replace the human population altogether. He believes, however, that the Illuminati and New World Order are not reptilian, but they help reptilians. They're like allies yeah. to the repti- reptilian world. Honestly, maybe we should be replaced by this reptilian-alien mm-hmm. hybrid or whatever yeah. the hell they're making. Like, it might be time yeah, that's to what wipe I'm us getting out. at. Uh, because (laughs) i wanted to go over all that um because i kind of have a theory that ties in these ancient civilizations and kind of what's going on today and the reptilian you know elite love it and i don't know this theory might exist already i couldn't find anything but i you and i know i'm i'm not good at googling things apparently because i also can't (laughs) find that weird mic problem we have so Maybe it exists. But so let's say that it's all true. Reptilians are extraterrestrials who used to visit Earth a lot, but now have to disguise themselves, whatever. So I actually looked into um, the collapse of civilizations. And this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. It's always one of five things. Climate change is a big one uh, because that results Mm -hmm. in crop failure and starvation and stuff. The collapse of the Mayans and the Roman Empire both coincided with abrupt climactic changes, Mm -hmm. which we are convinced in 2020 that we are protected from somehow. Yeah. (laughs) Other reasons are environmental degradation, which is like deforestation, water pollution, etc., which we also in 2020 believe that we are protected from. Uh Another reason is complexity, which is basically when societies eventually collapse under the weight of their own bureaucracy. Um, Obviously, external problems, war, natural disasters, famine and plagues. And like I said earlier, inequality and um, oligarchy. So Uh if you look at our civilization now, like we're checking off a lot of boxes. Yeah, we are. And quickly. Yeah. So climate change. Environmental degradation, war, natural disasters, a pandemic. Obviously, we're also struggling not to collapse under the weight of our own bureaucracy right now. Mm -hmm. And what I mentioned earlier with inequality and oligarchy. So I looked it up. The share of global wealth from the 1% has swelled from 25 to 35% in the 80s to over 40% in 2020. And after seeing headlines recently, 43 million Americans have filed for unemployment benefits, myself included, and U.S. billionaires have become $565 billion richer since March 18th. I mean, it's insane. I was reading about that the other day, too. Like, the rich are just getting richer Mm -hmm. while everybody's losing their jobs and just trying to scrape things together. It's truly baffling how this can be happening. But here we are. Well, the rich getting richer as the poor get poorer has created a lot of stress on the societies of past civilizations and ultimately contributed to or have been, like, the main reason for their collapse. So let's say that there are extraterrestrial reptilian creatures that disguise themselves and are among us today what if they are around 
to ensure that human societies collapse before they are large enough to have universal influence. I like it. Because human beings, we're like, a, we are a literal plague. We are the yeah. only creatures on this planet that do nothing for their environment. We do not give back. We are horrible. Every other we give nothing back. system in, in our world, whether it's the ocean or like, the, I mean, watch one animal documentary. Every other right. creature They're on giving this back planet to the Earth. Yeah, does something for Earth except for us. We do nothing. We're useless. We make it worse. We're making all the mistakes yeah. you can make. We're doing nothing helpful. We're destroying the planet. We won't survive. Like the human race will not survive. Um, yeah. maybe it's probably not going to end in our lifetime, but like, it's not going to continue. There's no way. Yeah. We just won't. Um, eventually I we're agree. going to implode. So if I was like an extraterrestrial, there's no fucking way I would want them anywhere near my home planet. Yeah. Right. With, like stay the yeah, F away. Just don't just keep them there. Like we'll, yeah. you know, leave them there leave to them destroy there, themselves. But, like don't but bring them back to me. Don't let them get big enough where they can travel uh, light years in space because we don't want them even right. coming near us or discovering us or anything. Yeah, don't let them come close to us. That's very true. So they're just watching for that. Yeah, and when a civilization collapses, it's either absorbed into something else or they go back to the Stone Age. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. we, we will lose all progress and we will have to start over, right. which has happened from scratch a hundred times in human history. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility that it will happen to us today. Totally. Yeah. So it's not looking great here in 2020. Great. So, uh, but that would be why reptilians inserted themselves into the highest powers possible. The highest powers possible are the ones that ensure that the rich get richer and the poor stay poor. They can ensure a war will be ongoing. They can ensure that we don't reduce our emissions. They can ensure that mm. we don't reverse the degradation of our environment. Damn, Donald Trump must have a lot of lizard people on his team because yeah, no he's doing shit. all of that. Um, yeah, <laughs> every politician. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Yeah, you're right. But I guess I believe in the reptilian elite. Yeah, I mean, I always knew you did, but you're now kind of bringing me onto your team. You do Come make aboard. a good argument. <laughs> yeah no it was on board. i think i'm here for interesting because i was i was also researching these reptilian figures and um uh throughout all throughout like the e egyptian hieroglyphs the you know the ones that were found in iraq that were part of uh Ubaidian culture and, and sumeria and stuff and a lot of them predate to about the time that that society was sort of on the decline right yeah. So it is kind so of interesting that they date to about the time that the society is about to collapse. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Interesting. I like the connections here. But um, yeah, we have no idea. We don't know what these things are, why, why there are lizard people statues. Yeah. Because, like I said earlier, so yeah, there are a lot. Even us today, we have cartoons. You know, we have Paw Patrol. But like... In Egyptian times, there were a lot of, you know, animals that represented other, th other things. And, you know, the Mayans had Quetzalcoatl, who was a reptilian bird creature. You know, like, th it's not mm -hmm. out of the ordinary. What was out of the ordinary is that they didn't seem to be figurines of gods. Yeah. They seemed right. to be figurines of, like, fellow man, basically. Yeah. It wasn't a figurine to be worshipped. Yeah. It was just like, hey, here's... Here's Paul from yeah. 
our, accounting from our neighborhood yeah <laughs> oh okay man the notes for that really did lead you in a new direction like we were saying like you truly just don't know what you're going to be discussing on the show until the research leads you somewhere yeah. and you are a great example of that. until you find out that our society is about to collapse thanks to uh, lizard-faced individuals. <laughs> lizard-faced politicians. <laughs> oh, man. I loved that. I think you have brought me over to the lizard people team. When we first talked about it in season one, you're like, they're definitely beneath the city of LA. I was like, all right, slow <laughs> your roll. But now, now after this, I'm I'm really thinking about it, especially with the way 2020 is going. Like, it seems like history is going to repeat itself and the lizards will come forth. Speaking of, first of all, listeners, if I brought you over to the lizard side, please let me know. I'd love to hear that. Second of all, did you see that there's another pandemic, a flu-like pandemic that's Yes, starting? in China. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pork products? I I can't even. I saw it on Facebook, and whoever I saw posted it was like, just leave us alone. Just stop. <laughs> like, I know. Enough. Yeah, another Probably, like bad flu strain. Yeah, it won't be as um, deadly, but... Still. Yeah, once when I was reading the first few paragraphs, I honestly was starting to go in a full-blown anxiety attack and was like, I can't handle this right now. But by the end, I felt okay, because it seemed like even the scientist who was reporting on it was sort of like, hey, we're monitoring it really closely. Most likely, it's not going to blow up into a full-blown pandemic, and we're going to get it under control quickly. But we're just letting you know that this exists, so you're not shocked. Yeah. Um, but it seems like it most likely will be controlled. Oh, God, we have to hold on to hope. You have one Anywho, more, right? I do have one more. A fun Cheer one. Cheer us up. To end. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, even though this is, like, scary, it, it will cheer you up. I think we'll all have a nice smile on our face. But I have one final possibly cursed object. Um, I have another theory that we'll talk about at the end. But everybody loves a good Elmo. He's a great character <laughs> on Sesame Street. Um, we, Ashley and I, before the episode started, were talking about having Tickle Me Elmos, both of us in our life, and they like to say, ha, ha, that tickles, and sometimes tickles. did it in the middle of the night, and we didn't like it, but it was still a harmless toy. Elmo is sold everywhere in lots of different forms, little stuffed animals to, you know, robotic talking to you to there's ones that can be like hooked up to your computer and programmed to say things that you want it to say like Elmo's everywhere. Elmo goes back a long ways. We all love him. That's Elmo. So around, let's see, I think this was in the late 90s. Yes. The Bowman family uh, was finding an Elmo doll to purchase for their two-year-old son during the holiday seasons. And they went to the store and they found the last Elmo Knows Your Name doll. I believe that was somewhat of the name that it was called, Elmo Knows Your Name, because it was an Elmo that you could program to say your name and say, like, good morning and good night. So they got the last one, brought it home, and were able to program it to say their son James' name. They were so excited. They bring it to their two-year-old on Christmas. James is so stoked. Him and the Elmo doll are inseparable. He's like, this Elmo says my name. Everything's great. So one day the two-year-old is playing with Elmo and the mother is listening like in the distance. She's in the kitchen doing something. She swears she hears the Elmo doll say, kill James. 
She immediately runs over, checks the Elmo, and it goes back to just saying, James, hi, blah, blah, blah. And she's looking at her son, James, and he's just sort of like, yeah, what? Like, doesn't look phased at all. So she's like, okay, I'm exhausted. I'm chasing a toddler around. It's fine. So she just goes back to her life. But a couple of days later, she hears the same thing as her son is playing in the background. She's like, am I losing my mind? Or is he really saying kill James? And then maybe a day later, the family is watching TV and out of nowhere, similar to the Tickle Me Elmo, it's just like sitting with the other toys. The Elmo doll starts singing, not just saying this time, it starts singing, kill James, kill James, kill James, kill James. The family is terrified. They immediately call Fisher Price. Fisher Price is like, what the hell are you talking about? That would never happen with one of our toys. They said, please change the batteries and press the reset button. You can reprogram it to just say its usual stuff again. This will not happen. Um, So they change the batteries. They press the reset button and it starts to say kill James even more (laughs) the second time around. It doesn't even go back to its good mornings and good nights. It's just saying kill James, kill James. So... They call Fisher-Price again. They're like, what the hell? Fisher-Price offers to give them a refund. And the Bowmans accept it, which is great of them. Because I feel like I would be like, I'm going to sue you for traumatizing my son and my entire family. And you need to come do an exorcism on this doll. But they accepted the refund. And I think probably tossed the Elmo doll in a dumpster. But there's actually no follow-up article saying what they did with the doll. I can't imagine they kept it because that's horrible. Um, Fisher Price says is the only time this has ever happened. And they, sure it is. I know. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, they did have to post an article like saying what happened because word of this got out. And nobody like wrote into them saying... Yeah, my doll did it too. So it does seem like it was only to the Bowman family that this happened. But it was a cursed Elmo doll that said, kill James, that hopefully, like I said, is burned up or crushed in a trash compactor somewhere. I just hope it doesn't exist because that sounds awful. Or maybe Um, it's like a Chucky doll and it was like returned and melted down to make a new doll. But instead, it just reincarnated the killer Elmo doll. So maybe now it's a killer in the form of a different toy. Like it could be like maybe a or cabbage just patch like, doll, possibly, <laughs> or just like more Elmos. We don't could know. be more Elmos. That makes more sense. But I like to believe that maybe it was reincarnated as like a sweet little chubby cabbage patch doll, and is like you know, it was probably and just kills a new kid. It's probably a Teddy Ruxpin. Oh my gosh! Totally a Teddy Ruxpin. Because that Ugh. guy. That guy. That's terrifying to think about. Um, But my logical theory, like I was saying before, I did have a theory, was that I think someone on the assembly line making these Elmos just got real bored and was like, <laughs> listen, I've had a rough day. I'm sick and tired of putting the programming in these Elmos and going about my day, hooking these two little cords together to make him say good morning Want a cookie, tickle me, whatever the hell. I'm going to add a little murder. I'm going to sprinkle in a little death. So it's like the remake of Child's Play. Exactly. It's like the new one. <laughs> it's like the new one where that's kind of exactly what happens. And it yeah. is not a Child's Play movie. No one yep. watch it. Yeah, <laughs> please no. <laughs> um, it's not a good film. Um, But no, I I think it could either be 
a true demonic Elmo and we just go with that belief or yeah, a board employee, whatever you want to think. But can you imagine? No. Just sitting and watching TV and your child's toys kill James. Oh, my kid's not having any toys. Yeah, right? No toys that can talk. Like My none kid's going to have like my dad's old Lincoln Logs and yeah, for sure. my old fire brigade. <laughs> the fire brigade. Yeah, so Stuffed far Wilder's- animals that don't speak. That don't talk. Wilder has a lot of non-speaking stuffed animals. He likes to play with trains and he likes to play with cars that also um, don't make sounds. And no. I'm so happy with Wilder that. Wilder loves playing with winter glove. He does <laughs> like playing with his fleece winter glove as well. <laughs> that is all but the time we go. have this week for Keep It Weird. As usual, thank you so much for listening to our show. If you want to help out Keep It Weird in any way, there are many ways for you to do so. You can go to iTunes and give us a five-star review, of which we have 200 now. Yay! Thank you guys for thank getting us there. Thank you so much for reviewing our show. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash Podcast and donate to our show. You can go to etsy.com slash shop slash Podcast and grab yourself some merch. And you can follow us on social media at Keep It Weird Cast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And join our new Facebook group. We are having so much fun on there. We're sharing weird stories and funny memes. And uh, the more the merrier. So you should hop on. It's a blast. Our sign-off this week. It's really hard not having an unsuspecting guest to spring this on. We really should start planning these out. Again, this is why we miss having guests because it was so fun to see the look on their face when we said, what's our sign off this week? <laughs> and they were like, they what? Terrified. Uh, who? What do I say? Um, I was trying to think ha, of like ha, an ha. Elmo. Oh my god, we're on the same page. <laughs> Literally like, what's an Elmo? That's weird. Ha, 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 ha. Ha. Keep it weird. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I wonder yeah, what else. Yeah, weird. yeah, keep it weird. That's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. What else were you gonna say? <laughs> no, that was it. That was, that was it. Like I wonder what. Oh, oh bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's so funny. Well, we could do you, me, you. Wait, you, me, you. Yeah, you, you. were right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dee 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 Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.